Well, good morning, everybody. Happy Boxing Day. Did you know that's what today is? The day after Christmas is Boxing Day. All the servants in the old days didn't get to celebrate on Christmas. They were too busy serving, so they get to celebrate Christmas today. Did you know that? Okay, maybe this would work better. Turn to somebody next to you and just say, Merry Christmas. There you go. (laughs) That's way better. I hope you've had a Merry Christmas, and I'm so thankful to get to see everyone today. It's so good to be able to be together. I'm so thankful that you're here and that we have the privilege of being able to worship together. If you're watching online, I'm so thankful that you're a part of our services, that you're worshiping with us, and, and uh, and, and that just we have this privilege of being able to be together around God's Word today. Take a look at Luke chapter 23. Luke chapter 20, it's kind of three for a curve. You thought we were going to go earlier in the book, right? Because it's Christmas, Luke chapter 2. No, we're going to go to the end of the story today. Luke chapter 23 is where we're going to be. We're going to read that together in just a minute. Uh, But before we do, just a couple of things. First off, we have some guests in the room this morning. Becky and Jordan Sauceda are right there. And I just want to say thank you to them. Let's uh, let's celebrate for a minute. That's so good. For those of you who don't know, they are, uh, they are some missionaries that we partner with up in the Bronx, New York, and God's doing some great things through them. I'm so thankful for you guys and what God's doing in you. I'm glad you got to be home for Christmas, and that's such a good, good thing. So thanks so much for being here. And then as we think about Christmas, uh, I always like to ask people on the day after Christmas, did you get everything I wanted for Christmas? Just to see how they respond, because people are often excited about what they get. But, but one of the things that crosses my mind around December and Christmas every year is that for some people, December is not just about Christmas, it's also a birthday month for some people. And so I know for those people who are December birthdays, they often hear something like this. You'll see a picture up there. Hey, and I'm wondering if Jesus heard the same thing. Just so we're clear, this, is, this, is, this gift is for Christmas and your birthday. Yeah, I wonder how many times they've heard that. And I know there's quite a few December birthdays, maybe even in the room. Like I know my son's birthday is December 1st, so that's kind of a December birthday. I know that Steve Parker's birthday is in December. He's right back there, Steve Parker. Uh, Jeremy Davis celebrates a birthday in December. Um, I know that Rebecca Shackelford celebrates a birthday in December. We went to college together, Rebecca and I, and it's, it's this time of year that I love to remind her that she will forever be older than me. That's always, I'm not going to tell you how much older, but she's always older than me, so that's always a good thing. And it is frequent. If you have a December birthday, either you hear, um, e- either you figure out a way to bleed it for all it's worth, <laughs> Or you hear people, they'll say, hey, this birthday present's for Christmas and birthday. Or maybe you find a way to make two things out of it, and that's always good. And so I thought to just kind of get things started, just with this idea that this is the season of gift-giving, and sometimes birthdays are a thing. I thought you could help me out with just a quick game. And so this is an interactive portion, so feel free to to, to just tell me what you think as we do this. I'm going to show you some pictures. And as I show you pictures, you can just tell me, is this gift worth both Christmas and birthday? Is it worth just one? Is it something you should re-gift, or is it kind of a return to sender? Okay, so just tell me what kind of gift it is. So let's show that first picture. What is this? An Apple Watch. Let's say you got an Apple Watch. Is that worth Christmas and birthday, just one, return to sender, or uh, or is it a... uh, a re-gift. What do you think? Both. We've got some people saying both. Some people are like, Apple, no. You know, I don't know about you people, but that's okay. How about this? Okay, that's good. Uh, a $10 Applebee's gift card. Is that worth both? One, or is that a return to sender or re-gift? What do you think? Okay, some people saying return to sender. I guess it feels, depends on how you feel about Applebee's, right? Applebee's. I just like saying that word, Applebee's. That's good. So maybe, maybe it's worth one. How about this one? <laughs> a fruitcake with apples. How about return to sender, re-gift, both, one? 
Hey, let me just tell you, I think it's a re-gift because it's the kind of gift that could show up in families for generations. You could just kind of keep that love moving forward. How about this one? A trip to the beach. Absolutely both. Absolutely both. I'm ready to go right now in case you're wondering. <laughs> That's good. How about this one? Bob Ross Chia Beachhead. <laughs> I don't know. Both return to sender, re-gift. I don't know. What do you think? Yeah, I don't know. I'll tell you, if I, if I ever received a gift like this, I would make certain that the hair grows out nice and long, and then I would hide it in Keith Davis's office somewhere. This is what I would, he'd never find it. It'd be awesome. That'd be great. How about this one? <laughs> Beach socks, both. One, return to sender, re-gift. What do you think? Like one, maybe? I don't know. Okay. Yeah, so, the, you know, Christmas is that time of year when we give gifts. And, and for those that have December birthdays, you frequently hear that. And, and then sometimes there are those gifts that you think, I should re-gift this, or you think maybe this is a return to sender. And so today, in the passage of Scripture that we're going to take a look at, instead of looking at the beginning of the story, we've been doing that through the month of December, we're going to take a look at the next chapter in the story. Because where we're going isn't really the end of the story either, it's really the continuation of the story and truthfully, it represents a gift that each one of us has the privilege of being able to receive. And during Christmas, all December long, we've been in a series called Remind Me. And the whole purpose of our series has been to just remind us that the Christmas story isn't like all the other Christmas stories. Our, the Christmas story that we celebrate of the birth of Jesus, this baby in a manger wrapped in swaddling clothes, this is not the same kind of story as Elf. <laughs> and it's not the same kind of story as Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer or It's a Wonderful Life. Those are all great stories, and I love them all. But the difference between those and this one, well, this one's true. This one actually happened. And that baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger, that was the beginning of the gift that God has for you and for me. And so today I'm wondering... Have you received that gift? And I'm wondering, once you hear about that gift, is that the kind of gift that you're going to, well, is it worth it? Or is it the kind of gift that you're going to return to sender? Nah, I'm going to need that. Or is, it, or is it the kind of gift that you're going to re-gift by sharing with someone else? What kind of gift is it? One of the things that strikes me is really remarkable about Jesus coming as a baby in a manger. It's just one of those remarkable things about who we are as believers and who God is and how he interacts with people. In, in other world religions, in many world religions, there's just this moment when the supernatural shows up in their story. And every time the supernatural shows up in the story of another world religion, it's almost always in the same context. The purpose is to inspire fear and awe and wonder. It's to, it's to make people afraid, to demonstrate their power and their greatness. And, and, and when the angels show up in the Christian story... Their first phrase is what? Do not be afraid. It's such a difference. And, and, and I think it's the difference in the real and the myth. I think it's the difference in what's right and what's deception. I think one of the differences is when God shows up, when the supernatural shows up in the context of God and the Holy Spirit, in the context of his angels, every time I see it in Scripture, when the angels show up, when Jesus shows up, when God shows up, almost every time the first thing he says is, don't be afraid. And then, when he decides to come, God in the flesh, 
Jesus, the incarnate deity. Charles Spurgeon, the prince of preachers, he said it like this. He said, the infinite became an infant. Isn't that cool? The infinite became an infinite. In the real story that we just want to remind ourselves of, the story that's real, the story that's relevant to our lives today, when God came, he came in the most vulnerable way possible. Not in the demonstration of power and glory, but as a baby, wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And this is a story that's real and it's relevant for you today. And it's not just a story that's, that ends there. We celebrate at Christmas. We give gifts at Christmas, and that's beautiful, and I love that. We give gifts as a reflection of the gift that God's given to us, but the gift actually matured. Have you ever received a gift that you got it on one day, but it was worth more later? Jesus shows up as a baby, and later that gift matures into the Messiah who is the Son of God, who's come to save his people from their sin. And in order to do that, he had to go through the tragedy and the glory of the cross. And so today, in this Christmas, in order to remind you of the fullness of the story, we're not going to stay simply in the manger. We're going to move to the cross and take a look at that. So let's look at Luke chapter 23. Luke chapter 23, it's just the evidence that the gift that God gave for you is the kind of gift that cost him everything. And so as we look at Luke chapter 23 today, one of the things in the context of worship that we love to do is in a worship service, we like to stand in the honor of the reading of God's word, and then when I'm finished reading it, I'll say, this is the word of the Lord, and you'll say, praise be to God. And the reason why we do that is just like when we sing, that's an act of praise, and when we read, that's an act of praise and worship. We have an opportunity to respond to the word, that's an act of worship. I want you to say nice and loud, praise be to God, because that is an act of worship. So stand with me, and let's read this passage of Scripture. Luke chapter 23, we're going to begin in verse 33, and, and here's what it says. It says, And when they came to the place that is called the skull, there they crucified him, and the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And they cast lots to divide his garments. And the people stood by watching, but the rulers scoffed at him, saying, He saved others. Let him save himself. If he is the Christ of God, his chosen one. The soldiers also mocked him, coming up and offering him sour wine and saying, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was also an inscription over him, This is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who were hanged railed at him, saying, are you not the Christ? Save yourself and save us. But the other rebuked him, saying, Do you not fear God, since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward of our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. And that criminal said to Jesus, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he said to him, Truly I say to you, Today you will be with me in paradise. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks so much. You can be seated. You know, when I think about Christmas and I think about this season, 
I know this is that time of year when people are taking inventory of their life. What kind of year has it been? What kind of year will next year be? What are the changes that need to happen in my life? What are the kinds of things that need to remain the same? And I know it's just kind of a season of evaluation. And and as I read this passage of Scripture and I think about what Christ did for us both in his birth and in his death on the cross at Calvary, as we evaluate those things, I'm often struck by the question, just, you know, what... What's it going to take for your life to change? What's it going to take for my life to change? So think about that. What, what changes are needed in your life? And what will it take for those changes to, to, to be transformative? What would, it, what would it mean for your life to be transformed by the gospel? What, it would be, what would it mean for your life to be transformed really by anything? One of the things I've seen and that I've learned is that it seems like people's lives don't really change until they have enough, or until they know enough, or until they hurt enough. For example, uh, until they know enough, there was a time when I thought a bologna sandwich was just the best thing you could possibly eat, and then my mom served me steak one time. (laughs) Now I know something I didn't know before, and uh, and bologna's not sufficient anymore. I mean, I'll eat it, but come on, steak, if you have a choice, what are you going to pick? Sometimes it takes knowing something. Sometimes it takes having something. I know some people have gotten new jobs and new careers. Some people in this season have realized they don't have to work from an office anymore. They can work from home now. And that's changing the nature of the way they relate to their family and they relate to their business. And so they, they, they know enough and they have enough. And so things are changing for them and their life is being transformed by that. And then sometimes it's not about the knowing or the having. Sometimes it's about, sometimes it's about the hurting I know people who, they, they didn't go get surgery until they just hurt enough. I've been there. You just hurt enough. You're like, well, please cut whatever that is out. I don't want it anymore. I know people like that. In this season, um, we've had three people that are dear friends in this congregation in the past week who have passed away. And for them, it wasn't unexpected. And for them... It really was this glorious transformation where after a long, godly, brilliant life and a tremendous amount of physical suffering, they were able to close their eyes here and open their eyes to see Jesus face to face. And for them, it's such a glorious moment and it's such a time of rejoicing and celebration for them. Yet for us who are left behind, it's a time of hurt. It's a time of grief. And isn't, isn't grief, isn't it just the perseverance of love? Isn't it just love enduring and moving on and going on? And as believers, we know, we just know that we don't grieve like those who have no hope. Yet through the hurt, I know there are several people whose lives next year are simply going to be different because they've lost someone they've loved. And I know some people are hurt, not because of a loss of a loved one, but they're hurt. And maybe it's a self-inflicted hurt. Maybe it's because you, you bought too much and now you're in debt and you just hurt. Maybe it's because you just haven't figured out how you can treat 
one another right. You haven't figured out how you can forgive one another or confess to one another. You haven't figured out those ways that you can just get along and say something nice to each other. So you keep hurting the people you care about the most and now your relationships are on the rocky edge of about falling, off, falling apart. And so you just, you just hurt and you don't know what to do. And maybe it's about the decisions you've made. Maybe you've had one too many drinks. Maybe you've done fill in the blank. But now you've reached this point where my, my life just hurts enough. Maybe I should, maybe something should change. And so I know our lives aren't really ever transformed until we know enough, have enough, or hurt enough. And what I see in Luke chapter 23 is I see a series of characters. I see a series of people who are interacting with this gospel message. They've heard that Jesus is somebody. They understand that Jesus has this incredible story and he's preached and he's taught and he's done miracles. Some of them have seen him raise the dead and cast out demons and cleanse the lepers and heal people. They've seen the miracles. Some of them have even eaten the food that he made for them miraculous. They've seen all this and now they're, they're, they're seeing other things. They're seeing him on the cross. And, and I'm wondering if that's you. I'm wondering if in this moment today, you've heard all the stories. You've been here at Easter, you've been here at Christmas, you've come all year long, and you've just heard about the glory of God through Jesus and the grace of his son and the gift that he has for you that cost him everything that really can transform your life. And I'm wondering which one of these characters in this particular part of history you are. Look, look with me at Luke chapter 23, verse 35. The, the thing I noticed first is those that should have known enough were the religious leaders. The religious leaders should have known, and instead of, and instead of recognizing for who, him for who he is, they scoffed at him. Look at verse 35, Luke 23, 35. It says, and the people stood by watching, but the rulers scoffed at him, saying, he saved others. Let him save himself. If he is the Christ of God, his chosen one, These are the Pharisees and Sadducees. These are the religious leaders of the day. These are the most uh, studied, intelligent people they have back in that moment. These are the ones who actually should have looked into Scripture. These, These are the men who have been looking to Scripture to find who the Messiah is. For the past 400 years, they've been looking for Messiah. They've been studying all the books and all, all of the things you could, you could study and having all the conversations so that when Messiah shows up, they should be the first to recognize who he is. And instead, they stand at the foot of the cross making fun of him. Maybe, maybe you can identify with people like that. You've heard all the stories. You've been to Bible school. You've heard all the things. And, and now the church and church people and the weird habits that you see that some church people have and some Christians that they're just worth kind of making fun of at this point. And so you just kind of scoff at the idea that this whole thing could be true when in reality truth is just right there in front of you. I'm amazed at the Pharisees. I'm just amazed at them. These are men and women, or excuse me, these are men who have studied Scripture. Many of them had the first five books of the Bible completely by memory. We've been trying to memorize two verses over this Christmas season, Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 and 7. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. And I can get six down because that's in the song I used to sing. In verse seven, I stumble over every time. So here I am struggling over two verses of scripture. And these are men who memorized five books of the Bible. And they taught it and they sang about it. And turn with me in your Bibles to Psalm 22. Go to Psalm 22 for just a second. This is a, a psalm that they would have sung in worship or they would have used in worship. Some of the Pharisees, some of the religious leaders, they might have even taught 
on Psalm 22, because this is a prophetic psalm. See, because what happens is Jesus' death on the cross, it fulfills prophecy and it fulfills promise. And so I'm wondering, do you you know enough? Like these men, do you know enough? Jesus, his death on the cross, it fulfills prophecy and it fulfills promise. So did his birth. His birth fulfilled prophecy and promise. His death fulfills prophecy and promise. And in Psalm 22, this is a passage of Scripture that these religious leaders would have known. Look at this. Verse verse 1, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? These are words the Pharisees would have known. And don't they sound familiar to what you know of what happened on the cross? Jesus is hanging there, nails in his hands and feet, and he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You see, Proverbs tells us that love edifies, but that knowledge puffs up. Actually, I think that's Romans. That, 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 that knowledge puffs up, but love edifies. What they had was the puffy version of knowledge. Look at verse 6 through 8 of Psalm 22. They should have been able to see it just from that one phrase. Hey, that sounds familiar to me. Where did I, where did I hear that? Psalm 20, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Verse six, verses 6 through 8, Psalm 22. But I am a worm and not a man, scorned by mankind and despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They make mouths at me. They wag their heads. He trusts in the Lord. Let him deliver him. Let him rescue him, for he delights in him. Hundreds of years before Jesus hangs on the cross, these words are written and now the men who should, who should see the truth, who should know the truth, who've probably taught this as one way to find the Messiah, are the ones who are actually fulfilling the prophecy and the promise that Psalm 22 says is going to happen. I hope you don't stand in their place. Look at verses 16 through 18 of Psalm 22. For dogs encompass me, a company of evildoers encircles me. They have pierced my hands and feet. I I can count all my bones. They stare and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them, and for my clothing, they cast lots. See, the religious leaders, they should have known. When will you know enough to trust in Jesus for the forgiveness of sins? When will you know enough to surrender your life to him? Because Jesus' death on the cross, it fulfills prophecy and it fulfills promise. But that last phrase in verses... uh, 16 through 18 of Psalm 22, they divide my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. Isn't that exactly what the Roman soldiers did? That's the next set of characters that we see in this part of the story. So the first question, do you know enough to trust in Jesus? The second question, do you have enough to trust in Jesus? The Roman soldiers, they should have noticed, yet what they did is they mocked him Luke 23, uh, verse 34 says, And they cast lots to divide his garments. For them, this was just another day of business. It was just another day for the Roman soldiers. That's what they did for a living. They crucified people. And then while the people were hanging their dying, if they had something of value, they took their thing of value and, and gambled for them. Can you imagine? Can you imagine doing that? They mocked Jesus and they gambled for his clothes. They mocked the eternal for a piece of fabric. How do you handle the things of God? How do you handle the truth 
that Jesus loves you with an everlasting love and that he's given everything for you. He's literally moved heaven and earth so that you might have a relationship with God. And so that right relationship with God can overflow into a right relationship with others, with friends and with family, with men, with women, with with everyone in your circles. God's done something remarkable for you. And sometimes, sometimes we trade the eternal and the glorious for a piece of cloth. These Roman soldiers who have seen so many crucifixions, they're just, they're just anesthetized to it. They're just numb to the misery and to the pain and the suffering that they totally missed that when this man was crucified, it was completely different. Because it's normal for a criminal on the cross to do exactly what the other criminal did, to mock and to scorn and to cuss and to shout and to scream and to hurt. And some of them are in despair and some of them are in anger. When you get crucified, it's miserable. And they totally missed that this one man right here in the middle, he's saying, he's got nails in his hands and his feet, and he's saying, God, Father, would you forgive them? Because they don't know what they're doing. How tragic it would be to miss eternity for a piece of cloth. Do you have enough to trust in Jesus? That's another verse of scripture that I think is interesting. See, Jesus' death on the cross, it provides everything we need. Second Peter 1.3 says, His divine power has granted to us everything we need that pertains to life and godliness. His divine power is given to us everything we need for life and godliness. And so I always like to ask this, Christ, this question around Christmas. I, I do it like this. Hey, did you get everything I wanted for Christmas? After Christmas Day, hey, did you get everything I wanted for Christmas? Just to see I can, if I can trip them up and see how they respond. And, and I don't know, did, did you get everything you wanted for Christmas? How about you guys? Did you get something you wanted for Christmas? Was it a good day? Yeah, that's okay. it's okay to respond. Is it a good day for you? That's good. That's good. And see, for me, uh, I'm one of those December birthdays. And so this is a strange day for me. I, my birthday's the day after Christmas. And so for me, I get Christmas on, I get, my, my family's kind, I get to open Christmas uh, presents yesterday, and I get to open birthday presents today. And then tomorrow, my son, who got great Christmas presents on Christmas Day, is going to come to me and show me something on Amazon that's like, Dad, this is the coolest thing ever. If I just had this, I'd, it'd be awesome. It's going to make everything better. And I'd be like, two days ago, didn't you just get everything you wanted? He's going to be like, yeah, Dad, but this is so cool. Look at that. It's a Bob Ross Chia Pet. Come on. How do you not like that, Dad? I need one of those. And then, again, for us December birthdays, we stretch it out for just as long as we possibly can and just bleed it for all of its work worth. But but it leads to that natural question. I love getting gifts. I love giving gifts. It's fun to have a December birthday. It's fun to receive and it's fun to give. But when will enough be enough? When, when, When will you be satisfied? How many presents does it take for you to open before you're like, ah, they love me. Oh, look, they really like, oh, they thought of me. Oh, they thought of me, but not very well. <laughs> um, how many gifts does it take for you to unwrap? When will enough be enough? You see, because scripture here is saying that his divine power has given us everything we need for life and for godliness. And when are you going to stop trying to just work so hard to earn your salvation? It's not because of anything you've done. Jesus gave you this gift when you were experiencing the best moment on the best day of your life. 
But he also gave you this gift when you were right in the middle of making the choice that was the worst moment, the worst decision on the worst day of your life. He's not saying I love you because of what you know. And he's not saying I love you because of what you have. He's saying I love you and I'm for you and I'm giving you this gift because of who he is. The infinite who came as an infant to give everything as a gift for you. So when will you relax and just let that gift be a part of who you are? Do you know enough? Do you have enough? Well, there's another option here. There's a a, a criminal on the cross. Look at uh, Luke 23, verse 39. It says, one of the criminals who were hanged with him railed at him saying, are you not the Christ? Save yourself and save us. I wonder if this Christmas season will be the season you hurt enough. When will you hurt enough to trust in Jesus for the forgiveness of sins and everything that pertains to life and godliness? When will you hurt enough to forgive someone who has hurt you? When will you hurt enough to recognize that that weight of unforgiveness that you're carrying around is killing you, and the person that you're not forgiving doesn't even know it. When will you hurt enough for your life to be transformed by the gospel? Because see, this guy is a criminal on a cross. He's done terrible things. He's hurt people. I'm sure he's been hurt by people. And at least in this moment, he's hanging on a cross. There is no pain greater than being crucified. And in that moment, he still didn't hurt enough to simply look at a guy next to him and go, man, you don't deserve this. I need your help. Wouldn't it be a shame? Wouldn't it be a shame to hear about the grace of God and to go through all of the hurts that you go through knowing there's a solution to the pain but refusing to receive it? Wouldn't it be a shame to do that? It's exactly what this criminal on the cross did. The criminal should have confessed, but he railed against him. And he railed against him because the hurt still wasn't enough. So when will enough be enough? When will you know enough? When will you have enough? When will you hurt enough to trust in Jesus enough for him to transform your life forever? There's one other character besides Jesus here, and it's that other criminal that's on the cross. Look back at Luke chapter 23. I'll start in verse 39 again. One of the criminals who were hanged railed at him saying, are you not the Christ? Save yourself and save us. But the other criminal, (laughs) the other criminal rebuked that criminal saying, do you not fear God since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward of our deeds, but this man has done nothing wrong. And he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said to him, truly I say to you today, you will be with me in paradise. When will you know enough? When will you have enough? When will you hurt enough to receive the grace of God into your life? You know, it's weird. Um, Today, I mentioned it earlier, it's my 50th birthday. So I've now lived one eighth of my life which either makes me filled with high hopes or really bad at math. 
I'm not sure <laughs> which one that is. My dad used to say that when he hit his 50th birthday. I've reached one-eighth of my life now. And so I'm either bad at math or I've got really high hopes. And if I think about it like this, that means I was born in 1971. And if I go 50 years earlier than that, it was 1921, which to me sounds like a really long time ago. I mean, the Great Depression hadn't happened. The World War II hadn't happened. There's so many things that hadn't happened. Uh, you know, we, we, we were piping in sunlight from the outer reaches of somewhere just to get it to here. I mean, it just seems like 21 was a long time ago. And then when I think about 50 years from now, it's going to be 2071. <laughs> that sounds like a long time from now. And, and if I'm honest, it's probably, I don't know, I don't know when I'm going to go home, but it's likely that sometime after 2071 or maybe before, maybe, I don't know, but it's likely that there'll come a day when I will die and I will be either a story or a memory. Maybe in the lives of my kids or grandkids or great-grandkids, there'll be some funny stories they tell, or maybe you could Google me and find my name on some internet website somewhere. But for the most part, I'll be forgotten. And isn't that the way for all of us? At some point, your life is this incredible story that will be told and retold and then at some level, forgotten. Aren't you glad to came, you came to this encouraging word from church today? <laughs> Woo! Watch this. Jesus says, to a criminal hanging on a cross. I will remember you. So 50 years from now, 100 years from now, 5,000 years from now, you know what God says to you who will simply surrender? He looks you in the eye and he says, I will remember you. And I don't know what you've done that's bad. I don't know how it compares to the evil of the criminal on the cross. I don't know if it compares at all, but it doesn't matter. Your sin is enough. Your wrong, your worst, on the worst day of your life is enough to keep you out of heaven, to break your relationship with God, to destroy your relationship with everybody in your family and all the people you hold most dear. Your sin is enough to make it so that when people remember you, they aren't pleasant memories. Your sin's enough. And your good is never enough to make even the most pleasant memories something that make you someone who is so important and so special that it redefines life for everyone else around you and all who come after you. It's just not good enough. It's good enough will never be good enough and bad enough is always bad enough to break your relationship with God, to destroy your relationship with friends and family, and to make you someone whose name, whose story, at some point, will simply fade into the ether. Except in the heart of God. And Jesus looks to you today and says, I'll remember. I remember just like he did with the criminal on the cross. And it's in that moment that genuine transformation for your life can happen. 
I know 2020 and 2021 have been devastating years for so many people. So much hurt has happened in these two years. I think you've heard Chris say it. We, we did some math a little bit ago. He was just figuring up the number of funerals that he's officiated in the past couple of years. And uh, it doesn't include the funerals that I've done or the funerals that Keith has done or that any of the other part of our staff have been a part of. We've hosted some funerals here that none of us were a part of. We just helped host them. But we've, we've done the math, and just for what Chris has been involved in alone, we've averaged one funeral every other week for the past two years. And when you put in the rest of the staff, it probably averages out to about one a week, uh, you know, at least uh, three weeks out of the year, we're, we're, out, of the, out of each month we're doing that. There's been a lot of hurt in 2020 and 2021. There have been some moments when what we have has been great because somebody's trying to stimulate the economy and they're giving some stuff. And then there's been some moments where we have is not, not nearly enough because we've had to go home and not work or, we've, or the nature of our job has changed and the, you know, the economy's depressed and inflation is up. And we've just, the, 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 what we have sometimes might be enough, might not be enough, we're just not sure. And then man, when it comes to knowledge, you can turn on the computer or your phone and you can get great godly information 24 hours a day, seven days a week on every passage of scripture you could possibly imagine from every possible point of view you could think of. We are the most informed generation in the history of the world and we have, the, we have more stuff and more convenience than anyone else in the history of the world and at the same time, we're experiencing some of the deepest hurts and some of the deepest tragedies of any other generation before us. When will enough be enough? Because today, your heavenly Father looks at you and just simply says, I'll remember you. I'll remember you. Will you be like that, that thief on the cross who said, hey, hey, Jesus, I know I deserve this. You don't but I'm trusting in you. I want to be where you are. Your life will be transformed when the gospel becomes real and relevant to you. Then you can re-gift that gift to somebody else. Could you bow your head and close your eyes with me for just a moment? I want to take a moment. You know, in our services, we, we, we get to sing together and praise God. We get to pray to our Heavenly Father. We get to do this in the context of worshiping the God we love with the people we love. And what an incredible privilege that is. And then we take some time to look at God's Word together. And as we look at God's Word, it's not really about one guy standing on a platform sharing his opinion. It's really about us together investigating what God has to say to us today. And today, his message is really simple. It's this, I'll remember you. I'll remember you. And when God speaks, we should respond. You realize you're going to respond one way or another. You're going to listen to God's word and you're going to do something about it. And you're going to trust him more deeply and follow him more closely. And you're going to share him with someone else. And you're going to, your life is going, to, is going to change as a result of it. And, and you're going to say yes to him in some way. That's one option. You're going to respond to God's word. You could say yes to him. He'll remember you. Your life will be transformed. The have enough, the know enough, the, the hurt enough, all those things will fall into place because enough will be enough because Jesus plus nothing equals everything and he is more than enough. But as we respond, you can say yes to him today. But for those of us who don't say yes to God's word today, 
even if you just very passively ignore things, you're going to respond. And the response may be no, or it may be this isn't for me, this is for somebody, this is for my cousin, this is for somebody else. You're going to respond one way or another. And so during our services, we like to give us a moment to respond in worship. And my hope is that in worship to him, you would just simply say yes. Some of you today, you may be far from God. You may not think it's even possible for God to love you or forgive you or that he even knows who you are, but I can assure you he does. He's the reason why that baby came in a manger. You are the reason for the gift he gave. And his desire for you is grand today. And so today, if you're far from God, you don't have to be. I'm going to pray in just a moment, and you could pray with me, and you could say, God, I just want to be like that thief on the cross. Would you remember me? I I want to trust in you, Jesus, for the forgiveness of sins, and I want to trust in you for everything that pertains to life and godliness. You could make that declaration today. If you want to know more about what that means, if you want to tell somebody that you're praying a prayer like that today, I'll be down front while we worship together in just a moment. You could come tell me about that and just let me know, or you could come ask questions. If you've got questions about what it means to follow Christ or what it means to give your life to Christ, you can come down here. I'd be happy to talk with you about it. There's other people in the room who would love to share with you to re-gift the gift of grace that they've been given through Jesus to you. And so as we sing, if that's you, would you come forward and come talk to me about that? Come let me know or come ask your questions. And then for so many of us, you're in the room today and you're already a follower of Christ, yet your life has been filled with the haves and the no's and the hurts, and maybe into the next year, you're not sure what to do with them. Well, what if I told you that you ought to do with that the same thing that you did when you asked Christ to forgive you. You ought to surrender all the things you know and all the things you have and all the hurts that you've experienced. Surrender those things to your Heavenly Father and trust Him with them. I don't always understand the way God works, and I don't always like the choices He makes, but that's why He's God, and I'm not. He knows more, has more, and is capable more than anything I could ever imagine, and I can trust Him. He's proven that over and over again, that in every tragedy and every triumph, He can be trusted, and you can trust Him too. Imagine what 2022 could be for you if you lived every moment recognizing that Jesus will remember you. Heavenly Father, thank you for moments just like these. I pray that we would today trust in you for everything that pertains to life and godliness. That we would recognize your grace in our life and this incredible gift that you've given through your son Jesus who came as a baby and died on a cross and rose from the dead. And I pray today that if someone is in this room who's far from you, that they would place their faith in you today, that they would trust in Jesus for the forgiveness of sins, that they would let someone know about it. What an incredible Christmas this could be. And that for each one of us who are followers of you, that we would draw closer to you, that we would grow deeper in our faith in you, and that we would always, all of us, remember that you will remember us. So, Father, thank you. We love you. And as we worship you now, I pray that we would do so in spirit and in truth, that we would worship passionately and give ourselves completely to you. We love you, Father. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.